you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn with me to the book of the Revelation in chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 this morning, and as you're turning, uh, I also want to uh, say welcome to uh, Jeff and Laura Clawson. It's good to see you guys, and, and uh, give them a hand. They were here on staff uh, many moons ago. Jeff looks much older. Laura doesn't look like she's aged today, and that's the way it goes, Jeff, and uh, it comes with the territory, but uh, God is good. Revelation chapter 3 this morning, and uh, man, it is so good, so good to be in the Lord's house. I pray that you've already been blessed and encouraged, and uh, I can tell you that you have been an encouragement to me already to be here. And uh, so thankful that we get to open up God's word together, amen, that we have the opportunity to do that. And so Revelation chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse number 7. And notice Jesus, what he's saying here. He says, and unto the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, these things saith he which is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. I know that works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make of them, uh, uh, them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and to worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Look at verse 12. Him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing, songs of worship, hymns and songs, hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, songs of worship that we're able to lift up your holy name, to praise you for your goodness, to gather in this beautiful space that you have provided. Lord, we're thankful for all that you have done, men and women, Young people trusting Christ, even in a season of COVID. People coming and joining with your church here at Battlefield, even during a season of COVID. Lord, we're thankful that you are greater than all. And Lord, I praise you for what you've done. But God, now I ask that you go before me. That you would give my mind clarity of thought, my lips clarity of speech. That you might be magnified, that you might be made much of today. Lord, I pray that at the end of it all that we as a body of believers might be drawn closer to you. And God, that we might be drawn closer to one another. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching online that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that today through this simple lesson, this simple message from a faithful church, God, that it might spur that, that the Word of God and the Spirit of God might draw them to yourself where they might not only find forgiveness of sin but everlasting life. God, I thank you again for meeting with us today. I thank you for pouring out your love on us today. And I look forward to, with great anticipation to what you're going to do in the next few moments of time. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. 
For it's in Jesus' precious name that I do pray and ask it. Amen and amen. Well, as you know, it's, uh, it's been quite a uh, season of change as we've prepared to be in this space. And, and I was thinking, man, do I need to come up with a new message, uh, uh, to God be the glory message? No, we're just going to continue with our, our study on the uh, churches of Revelation. And if you remember, um, last week we looked at the church of Sardis. Now remember, we're looking at these letters, we're looking back in history, not only to see what we can learn uh, uh, from prophecy, but also what we might be able to learn personally, not only from back then and there, but for the here and now. And last week we were talking about the church in Sardis, and we talked about how they represent this period of the Reformation and although there were tre tremendous reforms in the church of Sardis and during that period of time, that church age uh, back then, the reality is that we said last week that that church, what they, didn't, what they needed was not reforms. That church needed revival. And I would say in 2021, has anything really changed? No. I think the church of the living God needs a good old dose of revival. And I still believe that God can do that. And as we look in Scripture, you may recall the last week I told you that the church of Sardis, with man, they had a reputation that they were alive and that they were strong. But their reputation with our Lord was that they were dead and asleep. And so this morning, as we've already read about the church of Philadelphia, I want you to know from the get-go that this church literally represents a season of time, a season of revival. And that's what was taking place and the reality is that men and women, remember, we had talked about in Pergamos and then Thyatira and Sardis, that during the Middle Ages, the Middle Ages, Middle Evil Ages and the Dark Ages, that there was, this, there was this difference. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the Holy Roman Empire, had established a, a church rule that said, hey, guess what? The clergy holds the word of God, and if you have it, we'll put you to death. We'll actually put you to death. But now we start to see that men and women begin to have God's word again. And they start to read God's word. And as we know from Isaiah, God's word doesn't go out void. It actually accomplishes that exact thing that he desires. And so spiritual things begin to happen. And historically, remember we've been looking at these, at these churches and their locations. The city of Philadelphia was founded by Atlas Philadelphos. And uh, this was in 140 B.C. And uh, the word Philadelphos, or Philadelphos actually literally translates into English as one who loves his brother. Isn't that what we need today? Isn't that what this church needs? We need to be a church that loves our brothers. We need to be a church that loves our sisters. We need to be a church that goes out these beautiful doors and shares the love and the truth of Jesus Christ with people. Not in a way that we think we're some spiritually superior person, but just as another person that knows that we've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Oh, yeah, we need to love people right where they're at. And this is what was taking place. That word philos is a Greek word that speaks of love or affection. And the word adelphos actually refers to brother. And so that's where you and I, you know, when we think of the city of Philadelphia up in Pennsylvania, I'd caution you to lock your doors when you drive through the city. But it actually is, uh, we've come to recognize it as the city of brotherly love, whether they want to claim it or not. And that's what this church was. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 10 that we should love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Paul, in his first letter to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 9, he was telling the church, he says, hey guys, listen, there's no need for me to write to you about loving your brother because actually God teaches you how you're to love one another. And so guys, if you don't take anything else today, take that message of love. 
to a lost and dying world while we had the opportunity. Sadly, also, the city of Philadelphia was a center for heathen worship. Paganism, idolatry, and immorality continued to abound. It was also a dangerous city due to its location. There was a lot of volcanic activity and numerous earthquakes that would take place in this time period. The city of Philadelphia was also considered a border town, if you please. They were like sitting on the border between them. They were, they were like the most remote uh, Greek uh, culture that was there. And then beyond the city of Philadelphia was a number of territories where barbarians lived. And so Atlas, when he develops this city, he thinks that he's going to be the one that's going to be able to take uh, Greek culture, Greek language, Greek anything out, and he's going to convert the barbarians to his thoughts, his ways, and his ideas. But as verse 8 of our text in Revelation chapter 3 alludes to, Jesus reminds this church in Philadelphia, and he reminds us today, of a different, a very different open-door policy. Look back with me in verse number 7 at how Jesus describes himself in verse number 7. He, he says, hey, listen, uh, it says, he that's holy, he that's true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and, sh and no one shuts, and he that shuts and no man opens. If you think back in, in what we've studied, back in the church of Ephesus in, in chapter 2 in verse number 1, Jesus said he was the one who had the seven stars in his right hand. He said he was the one that walked in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. In Smyrna, he was the first and the last. The one who was dead and is alive forevermore, amen? In Pergamos, he said, hey, guess what? I'm the one that has the sharp sword with two edges, referring to the word of God. And when we get down to Thyatira, Jesus wanted to make sure that that church understood that he was the son of God. You know, not just the son of man. He wanted, to un he wanted them to understand, hey, guys, guess what? I'm God, and you're not. So here, let me correct a few things. Let me tell you the way things need to be. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he tells the church of Sardis again that he has those seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The point is that every time that Jesus dictates to John and describes himself to John, what he's saying to every church and to you and I he says, guess what, guys? You can trust what I'm saying because I am God. I'm on the throne, and I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to encourage you. Look at verse 7 again. He says, I'm the only one that's holy. Speaking of his holiness and his purity, he says, I'm the only one that's true. He says, listen, I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not some fictitious God, little g. He said, I'm the one that's true. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Is what he's saying. And then he says also, he says, guess what? I actually have the key of David. Now, some of you might be saying, well, what's that all about? He's got the key of David. This is actually a direct uh, recall of Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. And if you don't know that passage, if we can show it up. So the idea here is that we know from Scripture is that David, one of the greatest earthly kings to ever live, he had given his key to his treasury to a man by the name of Eliakim. And here was the point. Eliakim held the key to the king's treasury. And no man, no woman came before the king, came into the king's presence without getting permission from Eliakim. Because he held the key. He opened it and he closed it. So by saying that he held the key of David, Jesus was declaring, he says, listen, I'm not only the one that was referred to as the son of David. I'm not only the one who is the root of David. He says, I am the infinite and eternal one. That's good news. Because guess what? Without Jesus, we're in trouble. 
We're in trouble as people. He says, I'm the one that holds the key to my kingdom. I open it. I shut it. I control it. Oh, that's good news. Not only to the church of Philadelphia, but it's good news to us. Jesus said in Revelation 1.18, you remember he described himself much like he had before. As the one who had lived, the one who had died, and the one who was alive forevermore. You go on and you read in verse number 8 again. Look at our text in verse number 8. He says, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I've opened up a door of opportunity for you in Philadelphia. Battlefield, I got news for you. Jesus has opened up the door of opportunity for us in 2021. You can actually go away from this place without a frown on your face. You can actually go away from this place knowing that you're loved, knowing that you've been encouraged. You can actually go through those doors and actually love people the way that Jesus loved people. You can look at people the way Jesus looked at people. You can treat people the way that Jesus treated people. You know, the Bible says, a lot of people say, hey, I'm going to go out and tell them some truth, Pastor. Well, good. Just remember that John chapter 1 and verse number 14 John says, when we beheld him, we beheld him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're going to love somebody like Jesus, don't just stop with the truth. You better do it with some love. Oh, my friends, Jesus says, I've set before thee an open door. Here it is, Church of Philadelphia. You can go out because I've opened up the opportunity. Men and women now have the word of God. You can go out and share the gospel with people. You can go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it was. It became a great time of revival. The world was ripe on a harvest. And the church was ready for revival. And across the globe, missionary pioneers were launching out into regions beyond. Think about missionaries like William Carey. William Carey went into India when no one wanted him to go to India. Hudson Taylor went to China when nobody wanted him to go to China. David Livingston went to Africa, to the most remote villages of Africa. Think about Adoniram Judson went to Burma. I was thinking about Hudson Taylor. Do you know that he lived most of his adult life and he died sharing the gospel with people in China? Way, 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 way back then before you and I ever got involved in missions. The Scottish-born physician in China and Christian minister, uh, David Livingston. I was thinking about Larry and Jackie. I was thinking about David Livingston. David Livingston went into some of the most, un he penetrated some of the most remote areas of Africa. And if you know the story of David Livingston, right before he dies, he's, he's, he's dying. It's like 1873. In fact, they mark his death as May the 1st, 1873, although some dispute it as being May the 4th. Uh, May the 4th be with you, I don't know. But anyway, he dies in May of 1873, and before he dies, he tells his trusted followers, he says, listen, he says, when I die, you cut my heart out. You cut my heart out and you bury it here because this is where my heart is in Africa. You can send my body back to London for burial, and that's where they did. But he said, you cut my heart out and you bury it here. Do you want to know where they buried it, Larry? You know, under a tree in what is now present-day Zambia. David Livingston. Adoniram Judson, he ventured into Burma. He was imprisoned. His wife and his third child died of disease. But do you know that Adoniram Judson never, ever gave up? This was a season of revival. This was during the same time period that was marked by this church in Philadelphia. 
It was William Carey who dared to go into India to share the gospel. And there were a bunch of naysayers, and I won't go into the whole story, but there were a bunch of naysayers that told him, said, no, you're not going to India. Listen, if God wants to save those people in India, he'll do it without your help. It was William Carey. It was William Carey who said these words. He said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Folks, if we never attempt anything for God, I had a Bible college professor who used to put it this way. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. If you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Oh, my friends, we need to continue to attempt great things for God. And this was a great season of revival. And although, here's the deal, a lot of people, a lot of smart theological thinkers, much smarter than me, will say, well, Pastor, you, we live in the Laodicean church age, so you know what that means. You know what they're saying? They're telling me that they don't believe that God is able. When somebody says, oh, we're living in the Laodicean church age and, you know, we have wealth and good and we don't know that we're miserable, naked and poor and blind and on and on. Yeah, I know that that's what we're living in, but I also still believe that my God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works through us. His name is Jesus. And I don't think I've ever seen Jesus be limited in anything. He's not restricted. He can do all things. So, man, I'm getting excited. Let's look at a couple things and then we'll get out of here, amen? Look at number one. First, I want you to see in verse eight. Let's read how Jesus praises and he commends the church. He praises and he commends this church for their power. He praises and commends them for their practice and their perseverance here. Look at verse number eight. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. Now watch what he says, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. At a glance, when we see that phrase, little strength, we're like, oh man, these jokers, they had no strength. No. Do you know that the word strength, the word strength there translated literally means this. It means, it, it's the word dunamis, and it means force, miraculous power, or ability. It's the same word, you ready, where we get the Little idea of a stick of dynamite. Do you know like a little stick of dynamite, it can do big things? That's what Jesus was saying. He says, hey, you got a little bit of strength, but you're connected to the right power source. And you can do great things. You can go through that door of opportunity. You can share the love and the truth of me with the world. And he says, hey, you got a little strength, and I want to commend you for having a little strength. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel real weak. Anybody feel weak? Say, I feel weak. I feel weak. Like, I will not say I feel weak. I will not participate in your games. I'll get over it. Anybody ever been weak before? Thank you, brother. I got an honest, I got an honest man back there. He's going to be preaching up here one day. I think he's going to take over. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know about you, but I, I felt weak at times. But you know, it's like that little song. This little light of mine. Anybody remember that song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And you know what? God gives me a little light. He gives me a little strength. But you know what? With a little strength and a little light, he can do big things because he is the light of the world and I'm not. And so we just keep on holding the little light of mine. Don't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And that's what this church was doing. 
I think about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know the story. He asked the Lord three times. He's like, Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh over and over and over. And God says, nope. Lord, won't you remove it? Nope. Lord, just get rid of it. Nope. Paul finally understands that God's strength would actually be made perfect in his weakness. And in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul finishes by saying, for when I am weak, did he say Jesus is strong? He said, when I am weak, when I am little strength, when I am weak, when I'm holding on to Jesus, then I'm strong. And that's exactly the next thing that Jesus says. Notice, he says, he says, guess what? He says, you've kept my word. You didn't just see it. You just didn't hear it. You just didn't read it. You actually went out and started living it. Hello. Oh, man, what would Northern Virginia look like if we went out of these doors and just kept on holding on to the word of God, just kept on living, kept on loving people the way that Jesus loved them? I guarantee you, we wouldn't have room to contain people in this place. Oh, my friends, we've got to keep holding on to his word. And the last thing he says, look at verse 8, he says, you haven't denied my name. Similarly to the day in which we lived, these followers of Christ in Philadelphia, they, had, they were literally surrounded by immorality. They were surrounded by idolatry. But guess what? Every time they were persecuted by that synagogue of Satan, they said, nope, nope, Jesus is Lord. They stood up and they didn't deny him. Oh, the beautiful thing about the church in Philadelphia is that Jesus does not recognize a single problem. Were there problems? I'm sure they probably had their little times of uh, uncertainty and problems, but Jesus doesn't condemn them for any problems. What he does here is he celebrates their works. He recognizes their power. He celebrates the fact that they were practicing what he had said in his word, and he commends them for their perseverance. And so look at verses 9 through 12. We see not only does Jesus praise and commend this church, he makes a bunch of promises to this church. And I believe that these promises, we can take them and we can apply them to some degree in our lives today. Look at verse number 9. We'll go through and behold, he says, I make them. He's in control. He says, I make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Have you ever met a liar? We got any liars in here? Please, don't be a liar. All right, don't be a liar. Just tell it the way it is, right? He says, those that say they're Jews but are not but do lie, behold, I will make them to come. This is crazy. Jesus says, I'm going to make them to come, and I'm going to have them come and worship before thy feet and to know that I actually love you. That's crazy. You know what he's saying? He's saying, and here's the promise he's, he's giving them. He says, listen, your enemies, your so-called enemies, are going to be humbled one day. Now, before you get a little crazy and you go out here, well, I'm just going to love, live for Jesus so my enemy will be humbled. If that's the reason you're doing it, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Just because he, he says he's going to humble them one day doesn't mean that should be our goal. That shouldn't be the way that we go about it. Jesus says, all those who reject you, he said, all those who reject me, all those who are persecuting you, he said, one day, guess what? They're going to be dealt with. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 10, Jesus reminds us all that as believers, we're going to be kings and priests one day. Hello, kings and priests. Welcome. One day, you're like, I'm the king of my home. No, you're not. 
especially, sir, if that's you saying that, I, got, I can assure you, you are not the king. All right? Either your wife is or the child is, all right? Little Jeremiah's king, all right? Just get over it. <laughs> Travis is shaking his head. He's king. Do you know the reality is that as kings and priests, Jesus is saying one day in Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 10, he's saying one day we're going to reign together forever. How long is forever? Okay, it was a pretty easy question. In Philippians, turn to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see something and then we'll move on and close. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Because in this passage, look down at verse number 9 when you get there. In Philippians chapter 2, look at verse number 9 because it celebrates the fact that God has highly exalted him. Who is the him? Who's the him? Jesus. He's highly exalted him. And he's given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. He says, every knee should bow of the things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. Verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, one day, the enemies of God, they're not so much my enemies, they're enemy of God. If somebody rejects the gospel, they're not rejecting you, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting God. And so one day, the enemies of God will bow. The enemies of God will uh, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Oh, what a great God we serve. Friends, I can tell you what Jesus is telling that church in, in, in Philadelphia. He's saying, not only am I Lord, not only one day are they going to uh, be humiliated. He said, but I'm going to give you a VIP seat. You don't even have to pay extra. I'm going to give you a VIP seat because you're going to be right there. And they're going to know that I love you. They're going to know that I died for you. And they're going to realize that they have made a tragic mistake. Oh, there's going to be times of suffering. Anybody been through suffering in 2020, 2021? There's going to be times of heartache. There's going to be times of headaches in this life. But as heirs of God. And join heirs with Jesus Christ. God's word declares that one day you and I are going to be glorified together. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, because thou hast kept my word of patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Folks, Jesus is saying, are you ready for it? He says, I'm going to excuse you from the tribulation. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody, anybody excited about the tribulation? Maybe you're not familiar with it. But there's coming a time when the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth. The day of the Lord, he's going to be returning. You can read in 1 Thessalonians about that. And here's what Jesus is saying. He says, guess what? I'm going to excuse you from that period because you have kept my word. Oh, listen. We're going to be kept from everything that is being done during that awful, awful time. And the Bible gives us a picture in vivid detail. If you've never read about it, you can read from Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 19. It gives us a picture of it in grand detail. And there's a bunch of views regarding the church when it comes to the tribulation. And some of the views are the church is either caught up. By the way, the word rapture, some theological thinkers, well, the word rapture isn't there. It's the idea of being caught up together with them that are in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. So some believe that the church is going to be caught up in the clouds, right, with the Lord 
before. That's called pre-tribulation. Then there's some who theological thinkers who believe that we're going to be here for half of the tribulation period, and then we're going to get caught up. That's called a mid-tribulation uh, 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 belief. And then there's the post-tribulation belief that says, hey, guess what? Some actually believe we're already in the tribulation, but uh, if we're not, we're going to live through the tribulation, and God is going to bring us through the tribulation. But I want to draw your attention back to verse number 10, because you see, Jesus and this is for everyone. Notice what he says in verse number 10. He said, I also, I also will keep thee, what's the next word? From, from the hour of temptation. He does not say, I will keep thee in it. I will keep thee through it. He said, I'm going to keep you from it. And so interestingly enough, when you do some studying, the word church is found 19 times in the first three chapters of the book of the Revelation. Chapter 1, 2, and 3, you hear all about the church, the church, the church. From chapters 4 through 19, not one mention of the church here on earth. That's why, why do you think that's, that's there? Because I don't believe we're going to be here. I believe we're going to already be caught up together with them in the cloud. As Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, and it makes a Baptist want to dance. I don't want any part of the tribulation. Man, I love the Lord. He loves me. Look at verse number 11. He says, behold, here's the next promise. He says, behold, I come quickly. Hold the, that fast which thou hast. Hold on to it and no man take thy crown. Listen, there's not only a new name written down in glory and it's mine and it's yours. But guess what? Jesus says there's also a crown that awaits for kings and priests. Hmm. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hang on. Hang on. Because I'm on my way and I'm bringing your crown with me. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I love how the CSB puts it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's such a beautiful illustration of this. In verse number 24, here's how, how Paul writes it. He says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? He said, but only one receives the prize. He said, run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. Now, watch what he says. They, unbelievers... Do it to receive a perishable crown. But we, he's talking about believers, he says, we do it to receive an imperishable crown. Oh, what a great God. What a wonderful Savior we serve. Oh, the rewards promised by God will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And before you get your halo on too tight, can I tell you this? I like these steps. Do you know what we're going to do with the crowns? You know, if you read in Revelation chapter 4, you're going to find 24 elders. You know what they're doing? They're taking them off. And they're throwing them at the feet of the only one who is worthy of any crown. And his name is Jesus. That's what we're going to do. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say it. Oh, I believe we're going to all be wide-eyed and bushy-tailed throwing them at Jesus' feet. We're, we're not going to be able to uh, comprehend what's going on, let alone what happens when the church is caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Do you know that whether you pass away or whether you're living when Jesus returns, what a magnificent spectacle that's going to be. Oh, you say, well, what if I'm, I've already passed away? I got news for you. You're still going to experience it because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then without batting an eye, those that are alive and remain are going to be caught up right then and there. I mean, it's going to be like, I can't even probably do it that fast. We're going to be out. 
don't go and make that noise to anybody. They'll be like, what? What kind of church do you go to? Our pastor said, kill. Like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> don't worry, just pray for me. Oh, my friends, the forgiveness of sin and eternal life are all about the gift of Jesus. But do you know that us holding fast to that which we have, you and I walking and living in the Spirit is all about the reward that one day Jesus is going to give us a crown. And guess what? I just have to believe that as soon as we see all that we see, that we're going to take it off and we're going to throw it back and say, forget it. You're the only one that's worthy of the crown, not me. Look at verse 12 and 13. He says, him that overcomes. This is awesome. He says, him that overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write upon him a new name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven of my God. And watch this last part. He says, and I will write upon him my new name. In verse 13, he says, he that has the ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And the fourth promise is Jesus is concluding. He's saying, listen, as overcomers, you guys are going to be pillars in God's eternal kingdom. And I don't know how this strikes you, but pillars back in the day that were erected in temples or, or monuments, or even today, if you go up to the U.S. Capitol building, you'll know that that rotunda has pillars. And every pillar, there's somebody else recognized. It's kind of like a hall of honor. Jesus is saying, guess what? You just keep on overcoming. You just keep on holding fast. You just keep, don't deny me. You just hold on because guess what? I'm the one that has the key. I open it and I shut it. I control it. And one day he says, I'm going to make you a pillar. You're going to be in the hall of fame one day. What? Me? Yeah, quit worrying about notoriety down here. Because you don't need it and neither do I. One day, Jesus is going to make much of us while we make much of him. What a savior. And then number five, he says, hey, guess what? You're not only going to be made a pillar, but you're going to enjoy this intimate relationship with the father. Oh, yes, we're going to be given a new name, his name. And friends, I look in this passage and I just reminded that Jesus is holy. He's true. He's the one that holds the key of life and death. He's the one that holds the key of opportunity and service. And I just pray that God would help us. On our first day of the sanctuary, new renovated sanctuary. I just pray that God would help us to be like that church in Philadelphia. That we would be a church in Northern Virginia that would, one, you've heard me say this almost eight years now, that we would be a church that loves God. And folks, can I just put it simply? If you love God, the reality is you're going to love his word. You can't have one without the other. I love God, but I never read his word. That's junk. That's just, it's just junk. God, help us to be a church that loves you, a church that loves your word. And I got news for you. Here's, the, here's where the rubber meets the road. If you tell me that you love God and that you love God's word, you're not going to be able to help but to love people because Jesus loved people. God loved people. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, if you have yet to take that opportunity, that step of faith, please, can I just say this? Please know that Jesus is still 
the open door of opportunity for salvation. In John chapter 10 and verse number 9, he says, I am the door. He says, I'm the door. If any man enter into me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Folks, he's still the only way. He's still the only truth. He's still the only life. He's still the bread of life. He's still the light of the world. He's still the true vine. He's still on his throne. And if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never said, Jesus, finally I figured it out. I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? You know the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's exactly what he'll do. It says, you shall be saved. So I beg you, don't walk out of these pretty new doors before you walk through a door of opportunity to trust Christ as your Savior. And if you're here and you say, you know, Pastor, man, I'm a, I'm a believer and I'm doing, doing the best I can. It's been hard. 2020 has been hard and on and on. I'm going to beg you not to walk through those glass doors before you walk through the door of opportunity to serve and worship the Lord. You say, what does that mean? Well, I think we ought to be like Paul. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 3, his prayer request is that God's door of opportunity would remain open so that he could go in and out, that he could share that love and that truth of the gospel with people. That's what our prayer should be. We ought to be at city, that light on a hill, that city on a hill that cannot be hid. People are watching, people are looking. And so I want to beg you, I want to encourage you today. Whatever you do, walk through that door of opportunity. If you're a believer and you say, I've trusted Christ, and man, buy up the opportunity today to remember that he is holy. Remember, he is true. Remember, three, that he holds the key of David. Number four, remember, he's still on his throne, and he loves you. Oh, my friends, I believe that that would honor the Lord today. If you haven't trusted Christ, I beg you, as we go into a time of invitation, that you would trust him. If you're a believer, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, to recommit your life to Christ today. Not to walk that way, but to walk this way. And you say, what do I mean? You know what? I still believe in time of invitation where we can do business with God. And you know what God has provided? He's provided a huge space up here where we can come before his throne of grace, his throne of mercy, so that you and I can find help in our time of need. Father, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for your word and the opportunity that we've had to gather together today. Lord, I thank you for the music and the songs that have been lifted up in worship and praise to you. And God, I thank you for working all things together for our good, that we might draw close to you in this season. But Lord, I pray now, the most important time in this service, that you will work on hearts and lives and that the Spirit of God will convict and draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching online that has never trusted Christ, that they would simply call out upon the name of the Lord right now. They would say, Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. I believe that you are who you said you are. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were buried, that you conquered death and hell and the grave, and that you overcame it all so that I might have life everlasting. Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for making a way when there was no way. Lord, help me to bring you honor. Help me to bring you glory in the days ahead, God. Help me to be in your word. Help, 
put someone in my path that might encourage me, Lord. Help me to connect with a good church that I might learn more of you. Lord, I'll be, I'll be so thankful for that. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.